Welcome to the Grant Writing Simplified Podcast. This is the place to learn how to make a big impact in your community through grant writing and nonprofit consulting. The world needs you to step forward as a grant writer and use your skills to lead with confidence. I'm Teresa Huff, former special ed teacher turned grant writer and nonprofit strategist. In my 20 years of freelancing, I've helped nonprofits triple their funding and exponentially increase their reach. Now I'm stepping up to mentor freelancers and nonprofit leaders like you who are ready to take your skills to the next level. It's time to get intentional about your vision so you can create lasting change in your community. Learn the skills and strategies you need to become the grant writer the world needs. Let's do this. Hey friends, welcome to episode 70. Before we dig in today, I'd like to share a tool with you that I have found really useful. Nonprofits and grant writers often ask me where to find grants and how to keep up with all the different deadlines, especially when you're juggling a lot of projects and even for multiple clients. Recently, I discovered Instrumental and it's made my grant searching and tracking go so much faster. They have so many cool search features and lots of funder data that's right there in the system. All that would normally take me hours to dig up on my own. Instrumental really does bring all your grant prospecting, tracking, and the ongoing management all under one roof. I like it so much that I partnered with Instrumental to give you a free two-week trial and $50 off your first month. Go to TeresaHuff.com slash Instrumental, that's instrument with an L, and use the code GWSPOD. Give it a try and let me know how you like it. Today, I have a special guest who is the founder and CEO of the Nonprofit Alliance. I've invited Shannon McCracken on the show to discuss giving trends over the last couple of years, especially as we're kind of winding down from the craziness and aftermath of 2020, and then 2021 with still a lot of uncertainty, and Shannon has kept a really good pulse on everything, and from her vast experience in nonprofit work, you'll see that she has the acumen to be able to analyze and inform what needs to happen next and where these trends are going. Of course, none of us can say exactly, but she has a really good handle on the space. And so we talked through that today of what this means as we're going into 2022 and what kinds of changes really that need to happen and what things we've learned and those things that we can take away from the last couple of years, those experiences that have helped shape what's ahead. So listen in. I think you'll find this really informative and a little bit challenging because she also at the end gives us some challenge questions to consider. And I think it'll be really important to jot those down and sit down and take some time to reflect with your team of how you want to address those and how you want to face that going into the future. All right, everything that we talk about will be in the show notes along with a few other resources and check out the Nonprofit Alliance as well. All right, here we go. Shannon, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you and talk shop today. Tell us a random fact about yourself. Oh, a random fact. We're jumping right into the hard stuff. (laughs) Yes. Um, Okay. So one of my favorite questions to ask people lately has been a new habit or hobby that they picked up during COVID when everything Mm -hmm. was so unusual for us. Um, And mine is that I, with a lot of help from YouTube, I learned to knit, (laughs) but I, but I did it because 
I was falling into the deep, dark hole of scrolling my Apple newsfeed just constantly. Every time my hands didn't have something to do, I was going down the newsfeed route. What haven't I seen? What haven't I seen? What haven't I read? And it was too much. And so knitting forced me, kept my hands busy with something else, kept my brain somewhat busy with something else and allowed me to just create something different and work out a lot of frustrations and ripping out all those rows that were wrong. I won't claim any talent, no sweaters anytime <laughs> soon, but if you need a nice, long, straight, simple scarf, I'm your gal. <laughs> That's great. I love that idea of not just deciding you're going to stop something, but finding something to replace it with. Cause it's not enough to say, I need to stop this habit. We have to have something else to move to in order to really change that behavior. So that's a great example. Very true. We have to fill the space. Yes. And that's a creative outlet too. So tell us a little bit about how you got into nonprofit work and what inspired that. Right out of college, I actually started on the vendor or partner side in a, in a direct marketing shop and didn't know that that's what I wanted to go into, but I'm so grateful that that's how it happened. Because if I'd gone straight into a nonprofit from college, I don't think I would have had that exposure or that opportunity to this field. Um, And I I really fell in love with both the art and the science of direct marketing. And so after a couple of years of learning the ropes, I had the opportunity to join the staff at Special Olympics as their direct mail manager, and then stayed for 17 years in progressively larger roles, managing. Originally, it was direct mail. By the time I left, the direct marketing program and donor development program was omni-channel, plan giving, You know, really looking at the the bigger intersection of how that donor funnel feeds the larger picture of of support for the organization. So I left there, took an interesting left turn in my career, was the chief development officer with Charity Navigator, which is the largest charity evaluator in this country. And it, it was a much smaller staff, fewer than 20 of us at the time. And so in that development role, I got to see, touch, do, learn very quickly (laughs) other aspects of development that I never could have done in a larger organization like Special Olympics. And because we were a smaller organization as part of the leadership team, having exposure and responsibility for other governance areas. Uh, We had a new CEO, newish CEO. We're building and then rolling out a new five-year strategic plan. Organizational reorg was happening, had a lot of interaction and board management opportunity, staff, finance. Um, So I, I got to touch and learn a lot of aspects of nonprofit management. And then three years ago, left that to come be the founding CEO of the Nonprofit Alliance, which is a an association of and for nonprofit organizations and firms that work with and support nonprofits. Awesome. You know, your journey sounds pretty similar to a lot of people in that they kind of fell into nonprofit work sideways. It wasn't like you went and trained for nonprofits. Your training and all your steps leading up to it kind of one thing led to another and it grew from there. I would say that's true. And I have two schools of thought on that. One is Um, I really want to encourage intentional choice of going into the nonprofit sector and recognizing that for um, whether it's for younger people at the start of their career or anybody along the the path to really recognize the nonprofit sector as a significant workforce and and a place where we can work and thrive and make an impact. And the other part of that is 
as I shared, had I gone right into a nonprofit from college at a, obviously what would have been a very junior role, I don't think I could have had the opportunity there to learn as much as I did, certainly not to specialize in the way that I did. And so I think for, again, for younger people, especially with less professional experience who are interested in entering a career inside a nonprofit, don't rule out the opportunities to work with some of those partners in the larger ecosystem and then use that as a step in the door and really bring some experience that is sometimes easier to get on the corporate side. That's true. And then you're learning the business principles that apply to running a nonprofit well from a business perspective also. Yes, yes. And making some of those connections and inside a nonprofit, for example, in my role as direct mail manager. So I was the only direct mail manager. I was rather junior on a team of, there were maybe, I don't know, five or six of us at that point in, inside the donor development team. I couldn't have started there and had the expertise around me to teach and learn as I did in a shop that was specifically focused on that. So mm-hmm. there's good opportunity and not a one size fits all path to follow to get there. Mm-hmm. And to your first point there too, I'm also glad to see more and more colleges starting to offer some career paths in nonprofits specifically, whether it be leadership or management, but recognizing that that does have its own unique set of needs and skills that we need to develop in people. Absolutely. And nonprofits that make up 10, 11% of the workforce, it is significant. It's significant to our economy. It's significant to our workforce. And it is a very viable and and varied career path to pursue. Yes. So with all these years of experience, I know that you kind of have a good pulse on the industry and on the nonprofit trends. So let's dig into some of that. And especially after the last couple of years where it seems to be anybody's guess of what's happening, can you kind of give us some inside data on what you see happening with your ear to the ground? Sure. So a couple aspects to this. One is to recognize that even now, and as you and I are talking, it's the start of the fall of 2021, we're still down half a million nonprofit jobs that were lost during COVID. So as much as we've talked about the economic recovery and and nonprofits reopening their doors and the great migration and all of this in, in jobs, let's recognize that lots of organizations are operating on leaner resources than we were two years ago. So what does that mean for our impact footprint? What does that mean for the extra responsibilities, additional responsibilities that are picked up by those who are still in place within their roles? And what does that mean for the opportunities ahead of us? Uh, Those looking for careers, as we just talked about, whether you're looking for entry-level position to come in, if you're mid-career and looking to make a switch into the nonprofit sector where maybe you haven't been there before, or you've spent your entire career to this point in nonprofits and um, simply seeking opportunities elsewhere. Just knowing that nonprofits, like all the rest of the workforce right now, are in this, is in this big transformation and probably on the brink of growth and expansion, right? We've come out of this and ultimately that rubber band has to kind of come back and and those jobs be replaced over time. From a giving aspect, we've seen incredible generosity. And this has been talked about in so many places, but really incredible generosity in the last year and a half from everyday givers, Nonprofits back in March and April 2020 were really in fear of what was going to happen. There were lots of conversations about tapping out reserves, certainly layoffs and cutting back staff, cutting back salaries and benefits to try to preserve the sustainability of organizations in tough times. 
And it's in large part thanks to public support and also some government support in the form of PPP loans and so forth. But many nonprofits were able to sustain through that much better than they expected. Not all giving channels created equal in this kind of unusual socially distanced space. So face-to-face events, they all took a very large hit. Direct marketing and, and I'd say digital in particular, but certainly more traditional channels as well, did phenomenally well because we had people's attention span. There was this national and global sense of we're all in this together. Um, And those who had secure jobs, who still had income, who weren't spending money on restaurants and vacations were really stepped up in big ways to, to give to organizations in their communities and focus more broadly nationally and internationally. So here we are today, a year and a half going on two years later, And we've all been saying in the nonprofit space, how long is this uplift in giving going to continue? And just what I've started to hear, and I have no data on this, but but what I've started to hear just in conversations with nonprofit leaders in the past two weeks is that over the summer, organizations started to see some of that softening again, so that the summer giving patterns of 2021 look more like the summer giving patterns of 2019. And so that really opens questions as we're headed into year end. What does that mean for year end? Is it going to look like year end 2019, which for many organizations was not phenomenal? It's probably not going to look like year end 2020. Are we going to fall somewhere in the middle? Um, What does this kind of rebound look like? And how do we plan for this? And so that's what everybody is between workforce and reopening offices and that whole work environment and staff retention. And then the idea of still some interesting forecasting and crystal balling that we're doing with giving both at year-end 2021 and then going into calendar 22. That'll be interesting to see what next year looks like after having kind of this unusual bubble the last year and a half. And then what will it be after things kind of rebound and calm down? Do you think part of that is due to during the pandemic, really all we could do was be at home? And like you said, people weren't traveling, they weren't eating out. Now that some of that is picking back up, do you think that's having an impact on this? Yes, absolutely. We have less discretionary income. Again, looking at people who maintain their jobs, maintain their income through that time, some of that now has resumed. A lot of kids are back at school. We're back to busier lives again. And so uh, we have less of that extra money in the bank account at the end of each month. And And I think some of the sentiment that goes along with it, many people are naturally generous. That's why the charitable sector is as healthy and vibrant as it is. But we also have to acknowledge that early, all in this together, everybody pitching in, looking out for the local restaurant owners when the restaurants had to close and really feeling for the people who were joining some of those lines at food banks for the first time, right? You know, the, there was a lot of ability to, if not empathize, at least be compassionate about that and, and everybody do their part. And now some of that public conversation, that social discourse is more around, wait a minute, all these places are trying to hire and nobody's taking the jobs. Like, And this is a whole separate conversation, right, Teresa? So we won't go down that path. But I do think some of people's sentiments and like leaning into how can I be part of a solution are, again, sort of coming back to less of that immediate reactionary and more of the maybe more well thought out or kind of less in the moment giving that we would that we, versus what we saw last year. I've wondered about that, if that might be the case. It's less of that emotional pull 
where you feel for those situations and you don't have much else to be involved with. But now that people are more involved with their everyday life and activities are picking back up, then they're not quite as in tune with more of that philanthropic side of things. Yes. Yeah. And, and there are, you know, I ran into the grocery store for something fast the other day and there was a um, Cub Scout standing there selling his popcorn at the, at the table. And there, there are just more opportunities in our everyday life to be giving or feeling like we're, we're giving in some of those more unusual ways. And so that might change the way organizations that were doing fundraising last year and just on the receiving end of more of that, right? There were fewer channels to give. And so people were giving through those channels. And now we're back to this much broader open space of more ways to feel like we're supporting our community and people in our community and the broader picture beyond some of those limited channels we had last year. Mm -hmm. I think it's also worth noting that while we all talk about this incredible generosity that happened last year, the Lilly School Philanthropy has released data saying that for the first time, fewer than 50% of households made charitable contributions last year. This is more of a longer term conversation because that wasn't a sudden drop off. This is we've been every year decreasing, decreasing, right? So what does that mean for us as we talk about settling back into non-COVID times or post-COVID times? What does this longer trend line mean for us and how will that continue to play out? And that's an interesting point. So yeah, you had mentioned also kind of, are we missing some of those warning signs almost, or some of the indicators that looking back later, we may say, oh, why didn't we notice those trends? What are some of those that we could be watching? Right. Some of that's been masked or we've, we've been focused on some other, there, there've been some counteracting circumstances mm-hmm. in the last two years, right? But some of this will normalize again and, and we'll see those revealed. Right. Do you see on the other side of things, on the nonprofit side, this whole new challenge? Because there are so many more decisions to make with everything, with every fundraiser. Now that they can do some things back in person, now it's like, well, do we do a hybrid of virtual and in person? Is it safe to do in person? Should we postpone? Should we? All these different things of all the unknowns, and that adds extra stress on the nonprofits. It does. Yes. And on one hand, everybody's so eager to be back together and the choices we're making in our personal lives about sending kids back to school and activities we're doing on the weekend and sporting events being back and all of those things. There may be a different comfort level or willingness there than there is on the professional workforce space. And certainly if offices are rolling out slower timelines to fully reopen or are choosing not to reopen, right? They've discovered that virtual works really well for them or hybrid works really well for them. What does that mean for a return to other in-person events, whether that's conferences, networking events, client meetings, sales travel, all those other pieces that were just part of our professional lives before, how that resumes or in what shape and timeline that resumes is still a big question mark for us. Yes. And I hope that nonprofits are taking that into account and understanding the impact that's having on their staff and the stress level that that puts on there, because I think that's easy to overlook. Is just that added mental weight that if the board is helping the staff decide that together, that can be much more of a group joint decision where they can be supportive instead of just the staff members trying to feel like we have to figure out all this stuff to keep everybody safe and happy and it's all on us. But really, there are so many factors to consider. And I think boards need to be supportive of that as well. 
That's a really great point. The mental health aspect of this, I just don't think we can talk about and emphasize enough right now. And I would say that is maybe not especially true, but certainly true for fundraisers going into what for most is the busiest, most critical time of the year. The two-month period in November, December is such a large part of budgets for many giving channels and for many departments. And, you know, nonprofit fundraisers are really used to leaning into that and, and really like push to the finish and it's exciting and there's adrenaline and it's also exhausting. But in other years, that's been just what we know and what we do, right? And then in January, we kind of like take a breath and recover and and then move on to the next thing. And this year, we're many fundraisers, many organizations are going into this final sprint with a little less energy in the in the reserves, right? A little less fuel in the tank and trying to make space for that and prepare for that and take time to celebrate. I mean, I'm saying these things to remind myself because I don't always take time to celebrate the wins. I don't always focus on on really like tapping the brakes when we need to. It's like, go, go, go. And that's that's not sustainable for much longer. We've been doing go, go, go for a long time now. Yes. And that concerns me because I know that is a straight path to burnout. And we have so many good people in the nonprofit fields and We don't want them to burn out. We need to be proactive and take care of them before that happens. And I see this just in different online groups and forums and conversations that I feel like some of it could be prevented if we were a little more proactive in that regard, or even just extending grace and understanding that, hey, I know you're under a lot of pressure. This is a tough job under the best of circumstances. And now we've got this added element of all these unknowns, plus you're supposed to raise money (laughs) and you don't know what kind of events to offer, which things are going to go well, which things are going to be safe for your donors, which ones the donors are going to respond to. (laughs) And so it's just really kind of a vague target to pin down. Yes. And this is perhaps, and I'm saying this and thinking about it at the same time. So let's see if I talk myself out of this idea. (laughs) (laughs) This may be, when we think about the culture of philanthropy within organizations, this may be a really good time to look around the organization and see who else may be able to support development departments at this time of year. You know, one of the challenges that I've seen and lived inside nonprofit organizations is that end of December time period for most departments, most functions, in many organizations, this will vary, but is a quieter time. It's a time that a lot of people take some time off. Offices may even close for a few of those days before the new year, but development departments can't, right? They they have to be on with donor services. They have to be looking at what's happening with revenue coming in, especially with digital and, and other channels. Maybe this is a time to recognize that Others can kind of pitch in on some of that and be some support so that it's not all resting on the development staff. Easier said than done, but it's a thought. Maybe just defining what that looks like within the organization would be helpful. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to mean all the people take on all the development tasks at all. It might just mean the development staff can define a few things that would really help offload some of the stress if other people were also on board with that team approach and with maybe reaching out to a donor or helping make the decision on an event so that it's not all on one or two people's shoulders and just helping kind of spread some of that mental weight, not necessarily all the workload, but just some of that stress to help dilute that a little bit. 
for everyone. Right. And ensuring that some of those support services within the organization are there and accessible. So at the very least, things aren't harder for the fundraisers at this time of year. Like if you need your finance team and the finance team is all on PTO, then the development person has to work that much harder to to do something or find something or um, reassure a donor that their check will be cashed before 1231, you know, those sorts of things. And so um, just, just ensuring that that support system is there. Right. Sometimes it's a good opportunity to look at your internal systems too, to see what could we automate more to make those things easier or to know that they're getting done or how can we set up a process so the donor knows exactly what to expect when you send in a check, here are the steps that happen so that the development person's not having to answer that every single time for individual donors, but instead you're more proactive about here's how we handle this. Here's what happens next. Here's what you can expect from us and that kind of thing to where there's more templates, more automation. Some of those routine pieces are in place to where the system can take over on some of that. And then the people can nurture the donors and do things that only the people can do. You're right. It's a great time to audit those public facing Q&A, FAQ sorts of pages and, and just what's out there. That doesn't all have to live in the development staff's head. Right. right. It can be out there in a more uh, easily accessible format. Yes. Sometimes we're so busy, caught up in the day to day, just trying to keep up that we forget that, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm doing this over and over. Maybe I could set up a system for that. And so just taking time to look at that and a few minutes up front of creating it can save so much time and stress later on. You're right. And that raises something else too that I've heard a number of people say more recently is that it used to feel like back in the good old days to find whatever that is, but it used to feel like there were some hills and valleys in the busyness of a year that there were times that you just knew were going to be a little bit slower that you were between campaigns or between events. And now it doesn't seem to ever have those valleys. It's just this constant hum of activity that we've filled in all the white space in between that, and probably for good reason, and probably um, that that's all been very strategically done. But again, it we miss the opportunities during some of those slow times to kind of clean out the file drawers, right? To go through and do the creative audits, the customer service audits, the rewriting our job descriptions, those important things that are easy to back burner for when I have more time and we might not have anything built in to have that time to do those. That's a good point. And sometimes we're so close to it. We can't see those things for ourselves because we just do them Mm -hmm. every day. We just do stuff, but you sometimes need an outside perspective of someone to come in and say, Hey, wait a minute. You just did that. (laughs) Why are you doing it again? You have it right there. You could create that template. And we don't see that when we're so close to it. Right. Yes. Part of our routine. You mentioned the hills and valleys, everything is built out to where there really aren't any empty spaces. And I feel like our plugged in digital culture, while there are so many benefits to that, it also has the downside of if we're not careful, people feel like they have to be connected 24 seven, they have to be available, they have to be responsive. So I feel like we need to really emphasize the leadership's responsibility, but also just within the organization, that feeling that you have to always be turned on because we need those breaks. We need our home life to be home and separation. Even if we're working from home now, (laughs) if we're working at home, we're at work all the time and we're at home all the time. So that tug of war 
we really need to somehow have some mental space for each one and to really give ourselves breaks and permission to take the breaks. Absolutely. I saw somebody post on LinkedIn the other day that they said, okay, I've officially made a decision when I'm at work, I'm 100% at work. And when I'm at home, I'm 100% at home because the blending for me isn't working. I thought about that for about 30 seconds. I was like, hmm, could I do that? I don't think I could. For me, that wouldn't work, that I don't have the ability to turn one off. I'm always thinking about work and I'm always thinking about home and family, right? That mm-hmm. I'm not two even halves that I can just go one side of the brain or the other side of the brain. Right. Um, but it's about each of us finding what that solution is. And is it specific carved out time? Whatever that is. If we haven't figured that out now in the last year and a half, then we should we should work on that. That's definitely worth considering because even, yeah, you may be thinking about work a lot, but yet like there are times where I just know I need to maybe for a weekend or maybe for a Sunday, just stay off of social media or turn off my phone for a while and go for a walk. Like certain times where I just need that mental break completely. And maybe I'm still thinking about it, but often that's when the creative ideas will pop up is when I do take that break. But when I'm connected to it all the time, then there's kind of this underlying different part of my brain that takes over instead of the creativity. So I think we need that rest and that creative outlet as well. And it's ultimately about rebuilding the creativity and the energy and the passion and the strategic mindset to raise money, to have an impact on these causes that we that we care about so much that we get up and come to work every day to change lives, to solve these persistent problems in the world. And how can we best do that? How can we bring our best selves to that challenge on a consistent, regular, um, and sustainable way? And so that's that's really what it's all about, giving ourselves that space to take a breath and then just go be amazing. Yes, I agree. Well said. And that comes back to your why and knowing and keeping that in front of you. Why am I doing this? And then how can we best do it as a team and personally? And I think it comes back to, we talked briefly about in-person events, the amount of energy, and yes, they can be tiring too, and, you know, plane delays. And we all, we all know that story, but the excitement, the maybe excitement's not the right word, but the energy, that energy is contagious. When we're together with other people who are problem solving, who are up against some of the same stumbling blocks that we are, who have overcome those stumbling blocks and we can learn from them, who are in the midst of a breakthrough, who are getting to do something we would really love to do, or we're doing something that we can share with others. There's so much energy. And I think people stay in the nonprofit sector and stay in the work that we do in part because we have this really great ecosystem of smart, passionate people. And if individuals as professionals haven't found a way to keep that connectivity over the 2020 and 2021, then we're missing out, right? And so getting back to those in-person events when we feel safe and able to do so, when budgets come back, I mean, that's the other piece for nonprofits. They haven't been spending money on, on travel in the past year and a half. And we all know when something disappears from a budget, it's really hard to carve it out again, right? So making that piece a priority is I think going to be really good just for professional development in the kind of usual sense of learning more tactics and strategies and becoming smarter at what we do. And also the feeding off each other that just helps us learn and and innovate exponentially faster than when we're just living in our own little bubble. 
That's so true. And I hope that boards and the budget team will be supportive of that and recognize the value in that as they are reconsidering new budgets and looking at future years and planning. And I hope that line item doesn't get decreased or you know just realize, well, we got by without it for a year. We really don't need to put that back. I hope they recognize the value of that and the importance of it. Yes, being able to quantify that. Somebody on a in a corporate sales role can show the ROI of being in person at an event, of manning a booth, of attending and being present and being that face of the company. Um, it might be a little bit of a harder case for nonprofits to make. So we we have to collectively make that case. Yes, yes. And something that we were talking about earlier is just the budgeting aspect. A lot of people think nonprofit budgets are always January through December, but often the ones I've worked with are July 1st through June 30th. So the fiscal year runs differently, which is different than typical donor years where they want to get it in before the end of the year and even grant programs or projects. So things are kind of not parallel as far as the timing with the budget years. Do you see that as a challenge ever for nonprofits? Um, It's funny you ask that because I worked for a number of years with a calendar fiscal year. And from a donor development point of view, it's really hard to have your biggest month and your biggest two weeks of the year be at the very end of your fiscal year as well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because there's there's just so much writing on that and there's no recovery or plan B once you get to January 1st, right? It is what it is Mm -hmm. at that point. So I was for many years envious of those that had a July fiscal start, but it's another way of planning. And as we were talking about, if there really is something to this softening that that organizations started to see over the summer, what does that mean for organizations that were budgeting for a July one fiscal start? So they were budgeting back in February, March, April, right? And then some of this shifted. How much were they able to plan for that and forecast that? How conservative were they? How much did they assume, or what did they assume would sustain through the end of the year? And, you know, that's true for those on a calendar budget too. If you're on a calendar year budget, you're nine months, 10 months, 11 months as you're coming into the end of the year into a budget that you set back when we were all still literally stuck at home and nobody was going out in the economy. We didn't have vaccines. Like there were a lot of things that looked different at that point too. So yeah, it's, it's, this is going to be an interesting time period in fundraising and budgeting to look at in our rear view mirror. Yes. And just seeing how they compensate if there is this softening, like you're saying, to where things are starting to back off a little bit from giving. So how they can make up for that or find other creative ways to jump in and build that income back up. So as we are looking at all of this and the trends that you've seen, what are two or three recommendations that you would give nonprofits right now as we're finishing up 2021 and going into 2022? Great question. I I think we have some lessons, each of us individually as, as organizations have some lessons that we can take away, some silver linings from the past year and a half, two years in fundraising specifically. So what are the things we learned? What are the things we gave ourselves permission to do? Move faster, uh, roll out things without testing, right? What are, what are some of those things we gave ourselves permission to do in the midst of COVID because it was an unprecedented time and we didn't know kind of month to month what things were going to look like? And not that we always want to live in that weird space, but are there some habits or or some choices we made then about our nimbleness that we 
want to hang on to as we revert to a more ordered and orderly system and, and process flow, right? So um, I think it's a great time to kind of look back at that and see if there are any takeaways, some lessons that we can not lose track of uh, in the same way that I'll continue knitting and not looking at my newsfeed, right? Just because we can go out again, doesn't mean that we have to like go back to the old way. And that reflection time is important to stop and really look for those lessons, not yes. just keep moving and kind of be in push forward mode, but sometimes it's important to stop and look back. Exactly. And we here at the Nonprofit Alliance, we talk a lot about 15% solutions, because when you look at turning a large ship, when you look at, at making a really big change, and you have to have lots of stakeholders at the table in agreement, and it's really easy to start seeing all the reasons why something's not going to work and you abandon it, because you just don't have the time and energy to go down that rabbit hole. But what are the 15% solutions? If you see that you want to get from where you are right now to this bigger goal, what do you have the autonomy, the authority, the resources to do right now to get yourself 15% closer? And just do that. Focus on that. Because at the end of that, then you will be 15% closer, right? And you can either keep going from there, or at the very least, you're better than you were when you started. Some opportunities around that, that as we're coming out of or, or going into the next phase of fundraising and donor support and economic impact, what are some of those things that we can do to just keep pushing the ball forward, forward, forward? And then the last thing I would call out, we've talked a lot about COVID and economy in our conversation today, and we haven't talked about the social justice conversation and national reckoning and awareness and intentionality that has been just so critical um, and so defining in 2020 and 2021, making sure that we as professionals, as fundraisers, um, in the way that we are hiring and retaining staff in the way that we are acquiring and retaining donors, in the way that we are setting our own outcome goals and our KPIs are being very aware and intentional about ensuring that we have diversity in our donor support and our workforce in all aspects of what we do. That goes back to what we were saying earlier about sometimes you just need to stop and audit. You just need to look at what are our practices? What are we doing well? And what do we need to adjust? And sometimes those areas are just so status quo that we forget to stop and look at what could we be doing better? How could we improve this? And how can we stay current and really step this up? So I think that's a good reminder in all areas, all the things <laughs> that really you can't do that too often. Exactly. I love this comparison. I heard it a number of months ago, but I've come back to it a number of times. Within an organization, finance, budgeting, you know, whatever you call that, that is its own department and it has its own specialists, its own experts in that field. And they have their own goals and responsibilities within the organization and within the org chart. But there is not a single conversation, whether somebody from that department is in the room or not, there is not a single meaningful strategic conversation that happens within the organization that doesn't factor in the budget, whether it's revenue, expense, can we afford to do this? What, you know, what how opportunity costs, all of those pieces are part of every single discussion that happens within an organization, regardless of department. Diversity, equity, and inclusion should be the same way. Um, you may not have, some organizations do, some don't, lives in different functional areas. You may not have a defined DEI department, but regardless, that should be part of every conversation you're having. Look around the room. Do we have the right voices in the room? Why don't we? 
How do we ensure that we have those? Who are we serving? How can we best do that? If we start to build that practice within the nonprofit space, that's going to just, if we can, if we can own that and really start to do that well, and I say that as if it's easy and it's not, but if we start to do that well, the impact beyond our own mission footprint is, could be extraordinary. Yes. And sometimes that just starts with having the conversations and not being afraid to do that, just opening the door and making that a normal part of the culture where you have the conversations. Even if, like you said, if you don't have the department, you can still talk about it. You can still look at how can we open this up? How can we address some of these issues and start looking at it? Sometimes you just need to take that one next right step and then keep doing that and it will grow. And having shared defined goals within the organization. No organization starts the fiscal year without the budget, right? And every department knows what their accountability is to that budget, whether you're raising money, spending money, you know your piece of that and where you need to end the year in order for the organization to be successful and and to meet its goals. And diversity and inclusion should be exactly the same, that we're all working towards our piece of this larger goal for the organization. Well, this has been so good and so many deep topics we've covered here in a short time. What has been a valuable resource to you over the years? Oh, over the years, there are so many. So I'm going to answer your question a different way because I have this habit of buying and accumulating many, many more books than I will ever read and periodically rearranging them to put new ones at the top to get intentions (laughs) of getting through them. Um, So I can share the two that I'm really into right now. One is the book, The Givers by David Callahan, which I've read parts of before. um, And it's one of those books that I go through with a pencil and I'm bending down pages and making notes in the margins. So for me, very important to have a paper, like hard copy of this book. The Givers examines the power and influence of the really mega philanthropists in today's charitable impact landscape, which is a topic that I'm just very interested in soapbox for a different day. So that's one I highly recommend. It's It's been out a few years, but one that should be in everybody's stack. And then the other one, the next one on my list to dig into is Joan Gary's Guide to Nonprofit Leadership. And one that I've become a recent fan. I'm late to the table. I've become a recent fan of Joan Gary and looking forward to to diving into her latest book as well. Okay. I'm adding those to my list right now. Yes. (laughs) The pile (laughs) grows higher, right? Yes. My list grows faster than my time to read, but I still try (laughs) to plow through as many books as I can. Those are great. Well, thank you so much. This has been really good information and it's great to get a feel for what you're seeing on the front lines as well. Tell us how people can connect with you online or learn more about the Nonprofit Alliance if they're interested in finding out more. Absolutely. So I don't like Facebook. I do Twitter because I have to periodically, but I am very active on LinkedIn. So I'd love to connect and and chat with anyone on LinkedIn. Please find me there. And the Nonprofit Alliance is also very active on LinkedIn. Visit us on our website as well, which is tnpa.org. And in particular, there's there's a resource uh, drop down at the top. And so let me just call out two pages that may be good starting points. One is our jobs board. So whether you're looking for a job, looking to hire, or just trying to keep your finger on the pulse of the job market shifts right now, that's a great place to kind of see what's out there. Many of the jobs are in the fundraising and development area, both nonprofit roles and with the firms um, and vendors that work with nonprofits. So do check that out. 
And then also under our resources tab is a diversity and inclusion calendar, which is downloadable. You can import it right into your your Google or um, Outlook or any other online calendar. It has 50 dates that as we're operating in our professional space, we should just be aware of these dates. Many of the calendars that we have reflect Christian holidays, reflect federal holidays. And we, without meaning to, because we're not being intentional about it, we tend to schedule events, mandatory events, travel over days that are really important and should be recognized and protected for people of different faiths, of different backgrounds. So some of the dates on this calendar are that, and then some are others that just may be important to your team, your clients, your colleagues, and just good to to know and recognize and celebrate. Yeah, both of those sound great. I will link to those in the show notes as well. And sounds like some great resources there. And I know you guys often have events and webinars or conferences and things. So I hope people will keep an eye out for those and watch for that because you always put together some great combinations and great topics. So it's a, a good place to keep tabs on. Yes. Thank you. Our event calendar right there in the navigation bar at the top too. So check us out. Okay. Sounds good. Well, thank you for this. It was great talking to you and we will stay in touch. Fabulous. Thanks, Teresa. All right, friends, we covered a lot of ground here today. What did you think of Shannon's questions? I hope this gave you plenty to think about and consider with your team and as you're mapping out your plans for next year. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. So message me over on LinkedIn or send me a message on my website contact form and let's keep the conversation going. All right, quick shout out to today's sponsor Instrumental for creating an amazing grant search and tracking tool for nonprofits. What was your biggest takeaway today and how will you use that to inform your decisions moving forward? Some good things to think about as you go change your world. Talk to you soon.